Ah, yes. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Hope that you all enjoyed our episode with Ian Jabot of the Texas Rangers yesterday. He was a fantastic conversation. Sincerely got to enjoy talking with him about his life, his upbringing, and who would play him in Tiger King, uh, or rather who would play Joe Exotic in Tiger King, or rather who would play him in a movie, which I think was a pretty interesting topic. A couple of housekeeping items. Make sure that you leave a review, write a rating, and subscribe. That's what we need. That's what we're all about to try and get our ranking a little bit higher up there. I actually think I just reversed those, but you know what? You understand the point. Write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. My guest today for our coffee conversation, he is a Kansas City Royals prospect. He helped the Idaho Falls Chuckers win the 2019 Pioneer League Championship, a 35th round pick by the Kansas City Royals out of UC San Diego. Joining me from San Diego, just a good nine hours south of the Ocean Avenue studios here in San Francisco, it is Jonah DePoto. Jonah, what's going on, man? How you doing today? I'm good. How you doing, Greg? You know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun getting to talk with various players, not only that I worked with, but players that I haven't worked with that have ended up in the big leagues. And I tell you what, man, podcasting is a great thing to get your mind in a right place baseball-wise because you can reminisce and talk about different experiences and memories that you have, and it makes the game seem like it's closer than it actually is right now. I think that's a really beautiful thing, having that, being able to to talk about it and experience those moments through different lenses right now with how crazy everything is. So I want to start a little bit toward the beginning for you. You go to a Division II school in UC San Diego. Now, because of your dad and him playing in the big leagues and then moving into front offices, you moved around a lot. So for you, having lived in a variety of different places, you were born in New York, what was it like for you during the high school process of of getting recruited and deciding where you wanted to go play college baseball? Uh, it was it was pretty strange. Um, my my movement around subsided a little bit once I got into high school, which was nice. My entire childhood moved around a ton, like you said. I was born in New York. We moved to Colorado, lived there for a bit. Kansas lived there for a bit, uh, and then Arizona, and that was where I started high school. Uh, my freshman year, I was in Arizona, and then after that, we moved to California. So thankfully, I got my last three years uh, of high school in California. So I got to go around the uh, like the travel ball circuit and the scouting circuits out here. Got to do all those tournaments um, and all that. Uh, recruiting is always an interesting process, regardless of, of who you are or where you are. Uh, it's really nice getting to be in Southern California because of how big baseball is down here there's always always scouts there's always tournaments there's always stuff going on uh there were a lot of schools that i talked to uh pretty early on but ucsd was actually one of the very first schools to reach out um during my my senior season i didn't really talk to anybody my junior year uh that i can remember but pretty early on they they told me hey like if you want to come here you can come right in. You can start freshman year. And to me, that was the most important thing, uh, was just getting to play. Uh, cause I, I always feel like it's, it's better to go to, I mean, UCSD is a great program, but it's better to go somewhere where you're going to get time than like, I could have gone to Vanderbilt and 
if you go to Vanderbilt as a freshman, unless you're Kumar Rocker throwing 98, you're probably going to sit freshman year, you know? Yeah, and I think that having the experience and being able to put in the sweat equity is extremely important in terms of your development because mm-hmm. if you don't have those innings early on, it may not set you up down the line to be as successful as you are. Now, you had an interesting college career in the fact that you were primarily a reliever your first two years. You move to a starter in your junior season, and then you go back to the bullpen in your senior season. For you, mm-hmm. what was the adjustment like knowing that you're a reliever for two years, then you're asked to start, and then they tell you you're going right back to the bullpen? How do you mentally adjust to the different responsibilities of being a starter versus being a bullpen guy? Uh, it's, it's it's pretty interesting when you're when you're younger it's kind of hard to understand i mean you go from in high school there there really aren't relievers you know you start pretty much every game or every other game cuz you have two or three guys who actually pitch most of the games and so when i got to ucsd and they told me i was going to be in the bullpen it was kind of almost like a shell shock but at some point like you kind of have to expect it coming to a new place and being the younger guy especially cuz we had an, uh, a fairly old staff um but we had three or four freshmen, including myself, that our coach saw as like our core for while we were going to be there. And so he started to work us all in to starting. I started starting a little bit towards the end of my freshman season. Uh, and then junior year, uh, I went to relieving and I was a reliever that entire year. And that was when I started to really see some success. Freshman year, I struggled a lot uh, just because it's, it's very different. Um, adjusting to like the college life and college baseball, it's much, much different than, than high school or travel ball or anything like that. Um, and then junior year, it was kind of just off of necessity of what our coach wanted to do. I've always been very uh, like, kind of you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. I'm never a person who's really going to complain about my role or like, I don't think I'm getting enough time. I feel like if you play well, it'll all take care of itself. And for me, one of the most important things that, that my head coach at UCSD, Eric Newman, ever told me was my junior year, uh, when I started starting games, he, he told me he didn't want me to treat the games like I was a starter. He told me, I, I don't want you to go out there and think you're pitching innings one through nine and you got to get all the way through. He said, treat the first inning like you're coming into the ninth with a one run lead and every single inning you're just closing that inning. And if you close the first inning, great. Then you close the second inning. If you close the second inning, you close the third inning. And I think that's the best way to look at it is just every inning is like you're a closer. I think that's a really good way to put it because you have a different mentality when you're going out there. You understand you're not looking too far down the road. You're just looking at the outs ahead of you. And I know the old cliche goes, you take it one batter at a time, one pitch at a time. But Mm -hmm. for you, when you take that type of mindset – is it easier to focus that way? Oh, I definitely think so. Because as soon as you start thinking too much, I feel like you've already kind of lost. The One of my favorite things that I've heard multiple people say it, um, I know my dad has definitely said it to me a few times, but you let the hitter do the thinking. That's a good way to put it, because you're the one holding the cards. He's got to guess what you're doing. We're here with exactly. Royals prospect Jonah DePoto here on MLB Morning Coffee. I'll take you to draft day now. 
Now, you're taken in the 35th round, and you probably don't know exactly what's going to happen because you're a senior at a Division II school. You have the inkling you can get drafted, but unlike a lot of the guys that are at the earlier ends of it, you have no idea when. What was that moment like for you when your name got called and you found out you were going to be a part of the Royals organization? It was it was really cool for me. My my junior year was really tough. Uh, I got drafted out of high school, and I was expecting to get drafted throughout college. My junior year, I had a really good beginning of the year, and then the last half of the season just kind of face-planted. Uh, so not hearing my name that year was kind of tough. I, I knew going back out senior year, I knew I, was, I had pretty decent stuff. I knew I had a solid career, nothing too special, but decent. Um, I knew I had a good shot at getting drafted, but I tried not to think about it too much. And it was really weird on draft day. Usually for most guys, you're, you're sitting at home with your family and you're watching the TV or the computer, or whatever, as they're calling the names. When the draft happened, we were actually playing in the College World Series uh, in an elimination game. And uh, one of my best friends, Ted Stuka, got, he got picked in the 16th or 17th round uh, by the Tigers right before our game started. Uh, so it was really cool getting to celebrate that with him. And then we went into the game and kind of had to like check back into game mode. Um, and we played the first five, five innings or six innings. Uh, I ended up pitching. I'm trying to remember if it was two or three innings. And then we had a, a thunder and lightning delay, like severe rain downpour. This is in Cary, North Carolina. And so we had to go up to the, uh, like the viewing deck uh, or the concourse. Uh, and we're all standing around there just kind of waiting. And I didn't even grab my phone because I had just gone off the mound and I had, to, I was just thinking about pitching, like getting back out on the mound and trying to, to finish out the game, trying to win it. And my, uh, my now wife, fiance at the time was standing there with her phone as the names are going by. Uh, and I could see it on her face right when it happened because she got that big gaping mouth and started freaking out uh, and then showed me her phone and it said that the Royals picked me in the 35th and I thought it was unbelievable. I was so excited. Has to be the biggest thrill in the world. And for me, when I've been doing a lot of these conversations, I've been talking to players about what that moment was and and how everybody has a different experience. And I think that's the great thing about it is that every player, and I'm sure that you've known so many guys that have had this same experience of getting drafted, and yet the moment is so different in so many different ways. I think that it's a moment of joy that is unique to every individual. I would agree with that 100%. It's really special for for everybody too, because I know especially for me, that was with how I've kind of grown up in the game. Basically, from the moment I was born, that's always been what I've dreamed of, is playing in the major leagues, hearing my name called on draft day. And it was so just like a moment of pure elation, hearing that and realizing that it's actually happening. So, Jonah, you go to Arizona, you pitch one game in the AZL, and then you're assigned to Burlington at the beginning of July. Mm -hmm. And in Burlington, you do not give up an earned run in your first 13 appearances. Your second appearance, you had three unearned runs. But you don't give up an earned run until August 21st. And one of the reasons why you were so effective is because of the slider that you developed <laughs> with your college pitching coach between 
so you've told me this story, and I want to ask, how did it come about that you could trust this pitch as early on as you did? So if, for the listeners who haven't heard, give the story of how you developed that slider, and how did you know you could trust it right away? Um, so immediately, almost immediately after, after the draft, after the world series was over, we came back to San Diego. Uh, I still had a week left of college before I, I graduated. Cause I was going to walk before I went to, to Arizona and I was throwing bullpens and getting ready to go out there. Uh, my college pitching coach, Matt Harvey, uh, would always work with me during my pens. And I always had pretty decent stuff in college. I had a pretty solid slider, but it was never anything insane like it always had a good spin rate it had good movement whatever uh and my pen right before i left for arizona uh he told me he wanted to try something new out and i was like okay sure like i'm fine with trying anything what do you got and he showed me a grip he told me it was supposed to be a cutter uh, and he thought that it would play really well with what i already have my my fastball and my slider so i said okay i'll give it a shot and the first one that i threw moved to me would look like almost a foot and a half. And he kind of just slapped me on the back and he's like, yeah, just throw that one. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, and I don't even think there was really a, a moment where I realized that I could trust it as much as I did. I think it was a little bit more of when I was in, when I was in Burlington, right when I got there, um, I had a lot of trouble locating my fastball. Uh, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was having a hard time with it. And for me, I, I always had good command of my old slider, which was a little bit loopier. Uh, the new one that I had just started throwing, uh, I called a cutter. And Carlos Martinez, our pitching coach in Burlington, always made a lot of fun of, of me for it because it definitely was not a cutter. Uh, but when I started having command issues with my fastball, that was kind of what I fell back on. And I slowly realized, I think probably two or three outings, after I had gotten to Burlington, I realized that that was the pitch that I actually had the most command on for whatever reason. And uh, Will Hancock, our catcher, would call it all the time and I would never shake it off. And it just kind of became the go-to. And it certainly worked, man. And to me, I remember a story you were telling me that against, and I can't remember if it was on Trackman or Rapsodo, but it, it's the third highest spin rate of any slider in affiliated professional baseball. Is that correct? Uh, I believe so. I I don't know the exact numbers, but I have heard that it is among the highest in all of baseball um, movement profile and spin rate. I'll tell you what, man, to, to be able to claim that type of a stat, that just shows you how impressive <laughs> that is. And I'll say this to the listeners out there. This is an audio medium, medium so we can't put video on here. That's not how podcasts are formatted. But if you get a chance to see Jonah pitch live, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The first time I saw it, I was absolutely blown away by it. I didn't know that the physics of a baseball could make it move that much. So, I mean, to be able to to take a pitch like that and develop it as quickly as you did says a lot, number one, about your ability to adapt, and number two, about your ability to take something on the fly and try and perfect it. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Of course, man. <laughs> so I want to move on to what I think is an interesting transitional period for you. 
the Appalachian League season is shorter than the Pioneer League season. So mm-hmm. while we were still in our regular season in Idaho Falls, you were in the championship series against Johnson City in the Appy League, and you guys came up just short. Were you expecting to continue playing last season? Did you have an idea that maybe you'd get sent to Idaho Falls or to Lexington or Wilmington for the playoffs if they needed you? Like when you stepped off the mound for the last time in the Appy League championship series, did you think that you'd be done for the year? Or did you feel like there were still a couple more innings that you were going to end up throwing? Oh, I thought for sure it was the the end of the season. I was pretty bummed about it. I remember throwing the that last game against Johnston City. We all went back to our hotel, and we were uh, all the players in Burlington. And we were like, "Well, I guess that's kind of it. I guess we'll see everybody in spring training." Um. And I, I stayed up with my roommate that night, and we had some fun just hanging out. Uh, and I flew back to San Diego in the morning. I think I left at like 4 or 5 a.m., something like that, crazy early. I got back to San Diego. I went to get coffee uh, with my wife, and she went and got like a haircut or something. And I was sitting in the car. I had only been home for three, maybe four hours, uh, and I got a call. That I was going to Idaho, and I was sitting there, and I I couldn't believe it. I was, for me, I mean, at least I didn't have a lot of time to let it really sink in, because mentally I had thought that that was the end of the season, that I was done, that I wasn't gonna like throw another pitch until I got back to spring training. But they called me and told me I was going to Idaho, and I was like, hell yeah! I was like, give me give me the flight, I'll get out there as fast as I can. Uh, and I ended up flying out that next morning. Uh, like around like eight or nine a.m., and I was I was up in Idaho ready to go. <laughs> and you start off with a twelve-hour round trip to Billings, Montana, for Game mm-hmm. One of the series, in which only two pitchers ended up pitching in that game. You got to experience a Pioneer League road trip like none other, and and certainly for the two years I was in the league, like none other that I had experienced. And I remember you were sitting right behind me on the bus and everybody else is like trying to sleep or play games. Like what was it like for you having to acclimate to an entire new team and an entire new coaching staff on the fly? It's, it's definitely a little bit, a little bit weird. Um, for me, I don't think it's too difficult to do because of how much I moved around as a child and how kind of used to it I had to be. Cause I've, I've played on, I can't even count how many, different teams I've played on or how many different schools I've been to, but you always kind of have to just be okay with like not being comfortable around people. And you have to find comfort in that, which sounds kind of weird, but I feel like for me, I don't really think about it as being a weird thing. I just kind of get there and I'm like, Oh, new people. Okay. And then it just kind of goes from there. You know, you just kind of got to roll with the flow. Your manager in Burlington, Chris Widger, who I believe is going to be managing in high A Wilmington this year, Mm -hmm. he was one of the best handlers of pitchers when he was in the big leagues and somebody that won a World Series with the White Sox in 2005, handling one of the best single season starting staffs that probably has existed in the last 20 years. What did you learn from him about being a professional? 
I think the most important thing that I learned from Wedge was it doesn't really matter what all's going on around you. We had a lot of the Appy League is always kind of weird where you have strange rain delays in the middle of nowhere or all kinds of just different delays. A lot of the fields are a lot different than what you would expect. The mounds are kind of funky or the backstops weird. There's all kinds of different factors that make different stadiums or different teams that you play a little bit abnormal. And what he would always tell us would just be, it it's going to be weird. I mean, the one that I always think about is uh, the Bluefield Blue Jays. They had a weird, their backstop right behind the plate. Uh, there was like a hill almost. So you felt like you weren't throwing down the mound. You felt like you were throwing almost a flat ground, which pitching is bizarre to do. And he would always tell us like, it's going to be weird. It's just how fast can you get to being okay with it being weird? And I feel like that's kind of the epitome of being a professional, especially as a pitcher. Is like stuff's going to happen. People are going to make errors. Fields are going to be weird. It might rain or something. Like stuff's going to happen. It's how quickly can you adjust and be okay with it being abnormal. We're talking with Jonah Depoto here on MLB Morning Coffee, Kansas City Royals prospect. Jonah. You pitched the final two games of the Pioneer League Championship Series. And from what I understand, they were not going to let you pitch that championship game, or at least that wasn't the plan, since you ended up pitching the day before. What was the conversation like with Clayton Mortensen and Omar Ramirez in regards to what your availability was going to be in that championship final? And how did you rebound after pitching the day before? to get out two innings of championship-level baseball that brought yourself a championship? Um, t- to be fair, it's it wasn't too weird for me bouncing back. In college, I had a lot of series where I'd pitch uh, back-to-back games. And I remember even last year, my senior year, I had, I think, two or three weekends where I would pitch back-to-back-to-back days. So I, I had kind of gotten used to having to be okay pitching a little bit tired or a little bit sore and not really letting that get to you. I remember the the day of the championship game. I don't remember if it was if it was Omar or if it was Morty came up to me and asked me like are you going to be good to go if we need you for whatever reason? I think it was Morty. But he said I don't think we're going to need you. I hope we don't need you, but would you be able to pitch if we need you? And immediately I was like, yes, I was like, I will pitch as many innings as you want, as many pitches, whatever I need to do. (laughs) I am all in. What was it like for you stepping into, and granted you pitched in a lot of environments different than this in the Appalachian league. What's it like stepping on the mound in Ogden? If you haven't been there before. It's definitely different than I would say probably any other stadium that I played at this past season and because of how large the stadium is and kind of enclosed everything in the stadium reverberates a lot more there's a lot more echoes everything's louder Um, and you can really feel all of the emotion between both dugouts and 
the fans, which I think it, it makes it a really cool environment to play in and to pitch in because you can feel everybody shifting with every pitch, which I think is a lot of what baseball is about. Um, but it, it was definitely different from any of the other stadiums that I pitched in. But it's one of those things too where you walk out there or even sitting in the bullpen, you could you could feel it and see it. And you're like, that's pretty cool. But as soon as you get on the mound, I always think about it as it's almost kind of like you black out for a little bit when you get on the mound and everything else around you kind of gets drowned out. And it's just you and the catcher. That final out, that strikeout that ends the game and clinches the championship. When you see that final strike, what's your immediate feeling of emotion? Is it jubilation? Does your heart rate just like go from zero to a hundred? I mean, what was it like for you knowing that your hand delivered the final out of the championship? Oh, it was awesome. I, I, I remember there being like almost a pause right after I threw it of <laughs> like, it is what I saw, right? Was, was that actually strike three? Like we just won. And then Im- immediately I started losing it. I think I, I chucked my glove or something. It, it felt like I was on cloud nine. I was pumped. It was unbelievable being able to, to seal the deal. It was a really cool thing. So for you right now, how are you trying to stay ready? Did you even get to spring training because you were going to be reporting to minor league spring training? And I know that the Royals had set their minor league report date back a little bit. So did you ever actually get to Arizona this year? Or have you basically been training from home the entire time? No, I actually got to be in Arizona for quite a bit. Uh, I went out in late January for uh, early camp and then... I came back, I think February 15th or 16th was when I I went down to Arizona. Um, I went out uh, like a week and a half, two weeks before my official report date. So I got to just be around the facility and get all my work in there. Uh, I mostly just got to throw my bullpens and got my lifts in. And it was nice getting to be around everybody. I was bummed because the day that we had our meeting, uh, when we were kind of in limbo between it, are we going to shut down or like what's going on was the day that I was supposed to throw my first live, which was a little bit of a bummer, but. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be a bummer just given that you have this mental preparation for this moment and then it completely shuts down on you and there's nothing really that you can do It's just the nature of the beast and what happened happened. And you can't really worry about it other than the fact that you've just got to find a way to stay ready. So what have you been doing to stay ready if and when baseball gets started back up again? I've been trying to do everything I can to, to keep things normal. Uh, I've been doing home workouts, which it's a little bit tough not having your squat racks and, all that, the the good stuff. Um, been doing a lot of body weight workouts. I've been running a lot, biking a lot. Uh, I'm still able to throw, which is nice. I've been able to get a catcher so I can throw bullpens once, twice a week and kind of get that sense of normalcy with, with bullpens, which is good. And then outside of that, it's mostly been 
throwing a lot of balls into into nets and screens, just trying to keep the arm loose and work on the little things. So one thing that I noticed, and this is the portion where I get into your relationship with your dad, your middle name is Seaver. You mm-hmm. were born when your dad was pitching for the Mets. So I guess the question is, have you ever gotten a chance to meet your namesake? And have you ever talked to your dad or your mom even, but I assume your dad probably a little bit of a bigger influence about why he decided to give you the middle name that he did? Uh, unfortunately, I have never actually met Tom Seaver. Um, growing up, that was always my, my dad's from New Jersey. Um, so he always watched the Mets. That was his team. And Tom Seaver was his favorite pitcher. Uh, and so I, it was almost natural for him to, to name me after him. Uh, cause that was always who he looked up to. Uh, and it's kind of who I've looked up to as well, uh, as a byproduct, but yeah, I've never met him. Uh, when I was a baby, I did get a letter from him saying that if I ever played for the Mets, that I could wear 41, which I have it, I have, I have it framed in my room in Seattle. I think it's one of the coolest things. It's not something I, I think I would ever do, but it was a really cool gesture from him. I just think it's even cooler the fact that you were born while your dad was actually pitching for his childhood team. Like that mm-hmm. to me is one of the coolest things that could happen. So, yeah, awesome. so the fact that, that that happened the way it did is pretty darn cool. Now, your dad was a big league pitcher, but knowing how kids and parents work, you take some advice from your parents, but at the same time, you also want to be your own man. So for you, when you were developing as a pitcher, how much of your development was taking what you learned from visually watching your dad or taking his advice, and how much of it was learning from your childhood coaches and trying to develop your own mechanics based on what you learned from your coaches? I think it's a pretty good mix of both. I know I, I, I hear about it a lot from a lot of uh, professional coaches and scouts who either played with my dad or have watched my dad before. A lot of guys will kind of slap each other and laugh about how much I, I look like him or how much I pitch like him mechanically. Uh, I got to, luckily I got to watch my dad a lot when I was younger. Unfortunately, I don't vividly remember a ton of it because I was pretty young. Um, but getting to go back and watch video now is really cool. Uh, when I was younger, my dad was always a coach for me and would always help me. He still helps me all the time. I'll still send him video and ask him like, Hey, what do you think about this? How's this looking? Um, but definitely a lot of it is also from coaches I've had throughout the years. It's a lot of back and forth between everybody. And I think that's the best way to really build yourself into what you want to be is to take as much information as you can from everybody and do what you think is the best. And thankfully my dad has given me a lot of really good advice and a lot of really good tips. Um, and has always been there to help me. He's one of my heroes and I always look up to him. Uh, so it's really nice being able to have him in my corner and him helping me along the way. But you definitely got to take in a lot from everybody else as well. And I have to say, one of my coolest stories ever, I was working for a Mariners minor league affiliate in 2015 and 2016. 
and we're at the winter meetings in 2015. And every major league team has their affiliate dinners. So at these affiliate dinners, you usually have, you know, a couple of members from the big league front office or the big league coaching staff that are there, along with a couple of PR people. Well, this is the first winter meetings that your dad is the GM for the Seattle Mariners. And I walk into the room and I don't know how he was able to figure this out. I didn't even have a name tag on, but maybe maybe he was just that studious about getting to know the people that were on the guest list. But he's like, hey, you must be Greg. I'm Jerry. Nice to meet you. <laughs> like, like, not e- like, not like, I didn't even go. Like, he came up to me first. And I was like, this is so cool. He went out of his way <laughs> to introduce himself to somebody that he may not ever see again in his life. And it was just, it was one of the coolest experiences that I ever had. And I give your dad a lot of credit for making sure that he, he does his homework and is studious about what he does. And so I guess that translates into the question, what have you learned either from your dad as a pitcher or your dad as a scout and a front office executive about preparation? I've, I've learned a lot about preparation from my dad. He, out of everybody that I know, I think he does more work than probably anybody in the world to prepare for everything. It's unbelievable how much effort he puts into everything that he does. And it's really cool to see. And like you said, with, with him knowing your name, part of it is that he's just really good with people and likes people. But part of it too, is that he's almost kind of like rain man a little bit where he just remembers everything that he's ever seen. Um, You could probably ask him about any like important baseball event. You could ask him like who won the like 1957 world series. And he could tell you, who won it, who the winning pitcher was, who had like the winning hit, like crazy stuff like that. Um, but he, one of the, the biggest things that he always taught me about preparation was always being a student of the game and never thinking that you're too good or that you know enough to be able to not have to really work at it. Because it's it's never about being better than who you're playing against. It's about being better than you were yesterday. And no matter who you're playing against, what level you're at, you always have to prepare to be the best. And it's it's always doing everything that you possibly can do to be ready for any situation that comes at you and having everything checked off. Because if you've done it once, then when it comes up, you know how to do it. What is a moment in your life that has given you the greatest amount of satisfaction, whether it be the day that you proposed to your now wife or the day that you made your professional debut? What's a moment that you look back on and say, I am so proud of this moment, not because of what I did performance wise, but because of what it meant to anybody else involved? I feel like I I definitely have to go with two on that one. I'll definitely have to go with my wedding day. I feel like I can't not use that one as a very satisfying moment because it's, it's, it's the, the epitome of trying to be a, a good man and a good husband. And it leads into everyone that's ever impacted my life, trying to make me that good man that I want to be. 
or that I'm striving to be, which I, th- I think is a really powerful moment and a, a special event for everybody that's involved with it. Uh, and then I think definitely on the baseball side, it would have to be that professional debut where it's the the buildup of 22 years of of learning and practicing and all of the the games of catch playing with my dad and hitting off a tee, even though I don't even hit anymore, but hitting off a tee with him when I'm like seven years old and throwing in the grass outside and all of the the work with all of the different coaches and all the different teammates, all of that feeds into that. And I think that's really cool too. So for a lot of people that don't know, and we're here with Jonah DePoto on MLB Morning Coffee, Kansas City Royals pitching prospect. And we'll keep Jonah on for a couple more minutes because we've taken up a good amount of his time. At UC San Diego, you're a stone's throw away from Torrey Pines. How often did you get to play out there? And is it kind of addicting to know that there's a championship-level golf course that's basically in your backyard? You're going to hate me for saying this, but unfortunately, I have never actually golfed on Torrey Pines, which makes me feel like a horrible San Diegan with it being literally right there. Um, but no, I, I, I never have golfed on it, unfortunately. All right. I will say this. In San Diego, I had the best breakfast I've ever had anywhere. It's a place that's in the gas lamp called breakfast republic there might be a couple of them around have you ever been to a breakfast republic i have not i i know that it's one of the like the highly ranked uh food places but most of the the breakfast restaurants that i go to are usually ones that my wife finds and she really likes the the hole in the walls um and there's a lot of good ones around here there's a lot, lot of good food in san diego i've heard very good things about breakfast republic though and the Mexican food there is as good as anywhere. Oh, it's unbelievable. You could find a good burrito. You could just chuck a stone and <laughs> you'll hit one. <laughs> is San Diego a place you feel like you could end up calling home for the rest of your life? Because I'll tell you, the moment that I first stepped foot there, and it was actually for the 2014 winter meetings. Uh, and by the way, another great story about a fellow ALS GM about that winter meetings, I sat next to Billy Bean on my flight home from San Diego to the Bay Area. It was, turns out his daughter was actually going to Northwestern at the time, and I had no idea, which is where I went to school. (laughs) It's a small world. Baseball is a crazy small world. Baseball is a very crazy small world, and I didn't know (laughs) if it was him or not, but I'm like, and this guy sits down next to me, and it's a Southwest flight, so you can sit pretty much anywhere you want. And I'm doing mm-hmm. a double take. I'm like, is that is that Billy Bean? <laughs> I was like, it's got to be, right? And sure enough, it was. And he couldn't have been nicer. And he struck up a conversation. It was We actually didn't talk baseball at all. We were actually talking Golden State Warriors and, and college basketball. So, you know, but anyway, that first winter meetings, I went down to San Diego. And I just thought, this place is heaven. It, it's It's absolutely amazing. Now, granted... I'm from the Bay Area. I live in the city of San Francisco. I love San Francisco. It's a lot different than San Diego or L.A. But, I mean, going back to the question, could you see yourself living the rest of your life in San Diego? Oh, I feel like I definitely could. It's beautiful out here. It's got 
just about everything you could possibly imagine. I mean, the beach is like a five minute drive. You got a massive city, the downtowns within a couple of minutes. And there's a ton of like small, nice cities right around. I mean, you can drive 40 minutes and you're in Orange County and like Newport Beach, Huntington. You got Del Mar right down the street. There's, it's unbelievable how many good places there are right around here. All right, Jonah, I got one last question for you here on MLB Born, here on MLB Morning Coffee. Jeez, I'm tripping up on my words. <laughs> I, uh, I've I've done I've done so many of these interviews. I just hate it when I trip up on my words. But anyway, a buddy of mine actually posed this question to me the other day, and I had my answer. If you could go back and put yourself in the stands for one historic World Series game, which one would it be? Oh, I feel like that's an easy one. Are you saying Game ooh, 6 ooh. of the 86 series? No, I wouldn't. For, uh, for me, it's between two just because I was very close to it anyway. Um, in 2004, my dad worked for the Red Sox. And the 04 World Series is it's definitely one of the coolest sports moments, I think, just because of the curse finally getting broken. Um, but I think I would go back to the Red Sox winning it in, in 04. I think that either that or uh, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock game. Because those were both unbelievable games with between two really good historic teams. And I think being in the stands there in Fenway for that moment would just be unbelievable. So to me, my moment was a moment that's actually a moment of pain. And the only reason I say that is that I just feel like it was one of the greatest moments in World Series history. I'm going to put myself in game one of the 1988 World Series. As an A's fan growing up, watching Dennis Eckersley give up the home run to Kirk Gibson. But the only reason why is that the guy that was on second base, Mike Davis, who played for the A's for eight years, was my first hitting coach ever in pro baseball in 2015 uh, when I was with the Clinton Lumber King. So to me, that would be one of the the best moments ever. And uh, and you know what, man? I just I have to think about a lot of other moments. Um, one moment in particular that, at least in the Bay Area, kind of hurts is Scott Spezio's homer in Game 6 of the 2002 World Series when the Angels mm-hmm. beat the Giants. Uh, if I'm going, I could go White Sox when Scott Pesednik hit the home run uh, against Brad Lidge to to walk off in game two after he didn't have a single home or the rest of the year. I mean, there are so many great World Series moments that, that you could put yourself in. Uh, I think that's just what makes this game as amazing as it is. It really is. I feel like you could almost go back to almost any year and there's at least one moment that is just completely shifting. And it would be really special to be there. I mean, I, I think about the Joe Carter in 92, 93 a lot against the Phillies because I think that is a really cool moment. But there's there's so many throughout baseball history. And I think it's fantastic how storied our game is. It's the greatest game there is, I always tell people. Final it's question true. here for you, Jonah. I said final question on the previous question, but <laughs> I'm going to actually now go final question. 
I told you I wanted to have you come on because I thought you had a good radio voice and that you could probably do your own podcast. Do you feel like now that that you could host your own podcast? And if so, what would you have it be about? I don't know. I don't know if I could host one. I don't know if I'm creative enough to come up with a bunch of stuff to talk about. But maybe that would be a good one. It's just whatever I feel like talking about that day. I feel like I would be better as a guest, though, than a host. I feel like you've got the hosting down. I feel like I should just be the guest. Hey, man. Well, you're welcome to come on this show anytime. Jonah DePoto, really really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jonah DePoto here on MLB Morning Coffee, a part of our Coffee Conversations. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Make sure you check out our previous Coffee Conversations. we got Luke Farrell, Ian Jabot, Zach Littell, Dalton Kelly, and Derek Adams twice. So make sure that you check those out. And as always, we'll catch you in the AM.